0: podcast just woke up how are you bill
1: i'm good i i did not just wake up and i don't sound nearly as terrible as i did yesterday when the the fifth round of black death that the school brought uh, that the girl the the five-year-old brought home from school hit me and then released me so i'm good
0: the reason why coaches make more money than you and i is that they it's not about working hard it's about working patient And what I mean by that is uh, today is Thursday I'm in Eugene, Oregon. As we tape this, I'm about to leave Eugene, Oregon to go home. Um, I was up. I got up at 3 a.m. Pacific yesterday. Um, The first staff meeting in Oregon for National Signing Day was at 3.30. I got into the building about 3.45, 3.50. Um, The coaches had already gotten up, showered, dressed for the day. And gotten on the phone. And Bill, they were on the phone, talking to kids, talking to families, hanging out, tolerating people like me, reporter, going to press conferences, going to multiple press events, then going to... I know that every coach went to at least two banquets because I went to two banquets yesterday, one here in Eugene, and one I drove up to a big event at the convention center in downtown Portland. Then, as far as I know, the coaches went to, like, smaller meetings and, like, other regions of the state in between those two events. And the reason I tell you all this is, like, that's a long day, right? I'm talking to Mario Cristobal, former head uh, former head coach at FIU, a former assistant in, inside the machine in Alabama, freshly released from the machine. And he is the son of immigrants from Cuba who worked, like, basically two or three jobs each his entire life to get he and his brother through school. And they played at Miami, and he's pretty famous story. Yeah. So to him, it's like you can't ever can't ever gripe, it's all a blessing. And it's a nice reminder, you know, if you have a long day at work, that you are actually blessed sometimes to, to be in this position. I'm not even trying to draw a parallel to modern day. What I'm trying to say in a long way is I have absolutely no cognitive function right now. Is that it's not the hours, Bill. It's that those guys had to talk to so many people yesterday <laughs> about their jobs. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I have what we call like dinner party roles, which is I need an I need I usually need like a list of people who are going to be in an event, so I know how much about college football I'm going to have to talk. Oh, because yeah. the less I know a person in a, in a forced social arrangement, the more I'm going to have to talk about college football, unless we're in like. mean i don't know a non-college football area but it's pretty rare that that happens because then they just conflate it with sports i end up talking about sports right these poor coaches oh my god because oregon is starved for this kind of attention this kind of pizzazz um i have a story up about that about how willie taggart and these guys have brought the same kind of pomp and circumstance if you're a fan of like any school in the sec Clemson, Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State, I mean, you, you know, like, this is all commonplace. Yesterday was a big deal for you, you probably, you may have gone to an event in your town, um, you probably watched a live stream, hopefully you were at snbnation.com's bloggings. um, but out here it's different, they just haven't had that kind of, like, hysteria on signing day until yesterday, and now it was, it was pure rockstar, um, I guess I'm just most in, in admiration of these coaches, not for their acumen or their training or whatever, or for the fact Crystal Ball survived so many years in Tuscaloosa. It's just that they, they had to talk. It's like being at a wedding reception that never ends, and and you're sober. Am I painting a terrible enough a picture? You're 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 pretty fiercely. I wouldn't say antisocial. You're um. That's no, okay. What, what, you want to say antisocial? Well, I mean, like when you, know, you and I are in social settings, I usually pick up the ball and run, metaphorically, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes literally.
1: I soak it in. I try to contribute specific, uh, specific tidbits. I'm not. I, I'm terrible at small talk, and and I actually feel bad about it because I, uh, you know, you know, friends of friends of my wife and and whatnot. There are people who probably are. You know, if we're in a social setting, they're really trying to get me to talk about football. But at this point, like when I write so much about a topic or or think so much about a topic, I don't know what to say because my answer is 38 minutes long.
0: And that's Uh, my and that's the gist of what I'm talking about, because these guys have to do that. And that's what makes a head coach. I think Bill, you're Mark Helfrich. You okay with that? I mean, I don't like that I got fired, but yeah. You have where a am ton- I right now, by
1: the way? Where am where where is Mark
0: Um uh, I think he's just kind of kicking back right now. He had had um, he went in and interviewed for two like uh, two major jobs. He had gone down and interviewed at LSU, and then mm-hmm. I didn't think he'd interviewed for one or two other jobs for an OC capacity. But I don't know if he found anything necessarily <laughs> that really wants really <laughs> to kind of fit with him. So okay. Anyway, I wouldn't I'm, surprise I'm Mark- this, I wouldn't surprise Mark- to see him show up midseason as an analyst for somebody, or maybe even do a little television. My point is this. You are incredibly knowledgeable at all things that you need to be knowledgeable about, except there is that weird intangible thing that, I'm not going to say X-Factor because I hate that, I hate that cliche, but there is a certain, I don't want to say charisma because I think you're charismatic. I think you are one charming pig, all right? But Helfrich, it would never even dawn on him to treat signing day the way Willie Taggart treated it yesterday. And I know that doesn't seem like much, right? He took Marcus Mariota to the national championship. But in the long run, it seems to always come back around on coaches who don't understand the weird little eccentricities of PR and branding in college football. I don't know if you. Yeah? And he's at South Florida. (laughs) I mean, this is... I think you can't show me... You can't show me... Even someone who we consider to be buttoned up now, like Urban Meyer... They still get it over there, believe me. They still they still have a ton of bells and whistles around this stuff. No, he's not going to do, like, squat thrusts on a webcam or <laughs> d- dance. Yes! Okay.
1: <laughs> and I can't turn it off because the bass is down here. Well, I turned the phone off, but the bass is still ringing. God. This is just... And it's cheaper. Like, I should just turn... I should just turn it off completely because it is cheaper to have it than not have it, but that doesn't mean it never
0: has to You could yeah. unplug it. I think, yeah. I think we've had at least 20 emails asking, why, why doesn't he just unplug the phone? But I'm yeah. not here to judge you. You're the smart one.
1: Oh, that's a nice touch, though. That's- I that's wish fine.
0: everyone could see me right now. I've got my Kermit set. Uh,
1: anyway, okay. What? what you, I, I'm Mark Helfrich, and I didn't really get the
0: job. Uh, no, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is, is you can be the smartest guy in the room, and it still doesn't matter in college football. There's the Super Bowl is littered with, with introverts and a holes. I don't know if you met that guy who coaches the Patriots, right? He's considered the most successful co- coach in college or er, in, in the NFL. I don't think it's possible anymore in college football. I mean, I think I think there's now a, a critical mass limit that you can reach if you don't have this kind of, like, you know, social hour charisma. And it's been like this for a long time. It's nothing new. It's just exacerbated in a weird way in the Facebook, in this, or we didn't say the Facebook era, really just sort of the instantaneous social media era. It was like you're looking around the room yesterday, Bill, inside the spaceship at Oregon. There's, like... I don't know, 150 years worth of, like, top-level football experience, and every one of them is trying to, like, either log in out of a Snapchat or try and figure out how to, like, send an emoji. That's where we're at right now. I still – I
1: don't want to take – I I feel like everything that happened after it wrecked this moment, obviously, but that shot from, like, 2010 of Joe Pa trying to Skype um, (laughs) and where you only see, like, the top half of his face and, you know, because it's Grandpa trying to use the Internet – um, that was one of the most like delightful things I've ever seen. And of course then everything with Paterno got wrecked the, you know, by context and whatnot, but <clears throat> I still remember that. Yeah. A yeah, bunch of old people, uh, older people, not that old. Uh, yeah. And, and it's funny, like <clears throat> the messaging is, is impressive too. Cause I, I do obviously I live in Columbia. I didn't go to the Missouri press co- gathering thing yesterday cause I am antisocial and I stay in my house most of the time. But, um, the the messaging is impressive. Like they had to give the same answers about the same kids or the class as a whole 38 times over the course of like 10 yeah. hours. And they did it. I mean, the, like the, the quotes you see, uh, they did a Mizzou network interview then they had to do the local press and then they did this and that. The, they were very, con- uh, consistent with each other. And I think that's the trick too. Like not only talking for that long, like staying on message, like delivering the same points in the same way. Um, you know Glenn Ellerby the offensive line coach, saying this random—you know this O line they signed is, is uh, like a Coke machine with a helmet, you know that kind of thing. He said that probably. I think he probably had to say that three times yesterday, but he did. Uh, it was good messaging all the way around, I guess.
0: I think at a certain point, um, a lot of people are looking for ROI. Because I was I was at this big big banquet last night in Portland. Oh, by the way, I got so I got to throw this out, podcast exclusive. You go to the convention center in downtown Portland. I think it was downtown Portland. I was there for five minutes and it was dark. But it's a massive convention center, okay? At one end of the convention center is the Oregon Signing Day celebration, right? So it was like Neil Everett from SportsCenter and Taggart's there, Eric Armstead, Kellen Clemens, and like all these ex-Ducks, right? And they're on stage and it's like a thing. I mean, it's almost set up like a live talk show taping, all right? And there's... Five, six hundred people, and they're at like banquet tables. So it's a big deal. At the other end of the convention center is Oregon State's signing day celebration.
1: Yeah,
0: and I looked at um, I looked at uh, at Andy, the sports information director at Oregon. and I was like, are, are you serious? And he's like, Yeah, I didn't know it either. When we pulled up, we we were actually scared because we thought we were in the wrong place. We were in the parking <laughs> garage. We saw these like Escalades with custom graphics on the windows of, of the of the Beaver logo and I, I was like man, I said, I hate to be the guy who propagates the well in the SEC thing, but I was like hey man, if y'all did this in the SEC, somebody would get shot <laughs> and he's like, aha, oh. and I was like, no, no, no no. somebody would get shot in the face if you did this in the Birmingham Convention Center. If you put signing day celebrations with Malzon and Saban at opposite ends, and I don't care how many square feet it is I don't care if it's I do not care if it's at opposite ends of an aircraft carrier. It would be hell, you would have hell to pay. What a strange and wonderful thing that they've got going over here in tolerant Oregon. I mean, to important. Tra- you're
1: talking about them having to drive all over the state. Luckily, in Oregon, everything is within actually, is like within 50 miles of each other, and then the rest is unclaimed wilderness. So
0: that helped at least. Strange. Just unbelievably strange. Bill, I don't have any idea what happened on signing day yesterday. I know that there was a little snafu, and I feel like now it's becoming – I'm fine pushing this as a meme, by the way. ESPNU, I saw this as it happened. I was in one of the meeting rooms at Oregon. They, uh an Alabama player has a gray shirt, right? No, it doesn't Drez, I mean, He,
1: he elected
0: – It's Drez, Drez Parks, right? Okay, so. so he elects a gray shirt. There was a, a mix-up. Uh, you know as signing day was coming to a close at Alabama I, I guess uh, miscommunication that they didn't have room for him and he is probably just it looks like so he's just gonna gray shirt right and walk and walk on and and do it anyway he had taped one of these elaborate uh, announcement videos from bleach at bleacher report our at our com- our competition at bleacher report except we don't really do announcement videos but I guess they' are competition anyway um we d- we know a lot of people at Bleacher Report We have a lot of friends over there. We have a lot of friends, period, really, everywhere. We're just, um, nice, guys.
1: We're just nice guys?
0: Well, and not, I'm just talking about Bill and I. I'm talking, <laughs> to, like, people ask us all the time about this. It, I guess it's because it's considered behind the scenes or something. But just so you know, 98.5% of, of college media knows each other, and we all get along. And if we're all at a major event, we all have dinner and have drinks and... Dan Rubenstein orchestrates, you know, some 14-person dinner reservation. Everybody really does respect one another. It's been awesome. I know I've talked I've talked about this before, but sort of the establishment guys like Feldman and Andy Staples and, you know, on down the line, George Schroeder at, at USA Today. I'm rambling, but I'm exhausted. Um, they're all very cool, and they're very welcoming, and we all sort of respect each other's corner in this universe, right? Like, I know... I know what a USA Today feature is going to look like. You know, SI knows what an SB Nation tone piece is going to be. You know, when Spencer does something, um, and that's all cool. We kind of all celebrate each other. And then you have the 1.5%, uh, which I guess is this. I don't even know who the anchor is at ESPNU. Um, I know ESPNU's PR people really well because they try and, you know, get us on board to talk about some college football programming from time to time. I've done stories on Reese. Um, this so this jerez guy and you're gonna have to help me here bill because i only saw it for like a second but the jerez guy basically they released the video anyway and he went to paris to unveil that he was an alabama commit and if you don't know this bleacher keeps upping the ante where like there was a guy who went skydiving one year there was a guy who recreated the, the famous um kitchen scene from goodfellas with the long scorsese tracking shot to announce that he was going to ucla i saw that recently and i was like that's I think it's awesome. I have absolutely no issue with it. I I don't give a rip about tradition. Um, ESPNU, like, short sells this on the air and basically starts blaming another website that specializes in video as if it's their fault that this kid has elected to gray shirt at Alabama. And what's funny is stammering old Les Miles is on there, right, on this signing day show. He made the best point, albeit not in complete sentences. Maybe this is just where the kid really wants to be, right? Well, right. Everyone's sort of outraged that this is going on and the epidemic of gray-shirting, yada, 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 yada. He could have he gone to, I don't even know what other schools were competing for him. I everybody. Really- he had offers for everybody. Okay. I think maybe, I, heard, I saw somewhere on Twitter that he may end up at, like, Tennessee. I don't know. Whatever. The point is, he elected to do this. Unless Alabama yanked this thing in, the, in like you know, forty-five minutes uh, before signing day started, then Alabama's not even at fault. If they informed him in a reasonable amount of time, "Hey, we, we don't have room for you," it's not their fault either. Yeah. It's also not Bleacher Report's fault. I think it's absolutely absurd to blame them. They're they're out there trying to do interesting, strange stuff. They're out trying. They're trying to penetrate the impenetrable core of. The college football media's elitism, which usually starts with athletic directors and SIDs, and honestly, a lot of people at ESPN who don't see the way the wind's blowing. So I just thought it was really cheap and crappy. Um, Maybe I'm going on too much about it, but it was just like somebody worked really hard on the video. The kid really wanted to do it. They did it. It didn't work out. It sure as hell on a website's fault that that a kid is gray-shirting in Alabama.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird – I mean, it's such a weird process in general, especially when you think about – well, I mean, the whole thing with Alabama is, like, they got another commit, and then suddenly it was awkward. They didn't, you know, think they had room for more than one or whatever. And so um, they got too many commits that were awesome blue chippers uh, that suddenly they had this awkward situation with a top 100 kid. But, um, you know, the the way everything kind of comes to a head at the end – makes things weird and and makes these kinds of announcements awkward, especially if it's something that's not going to happen first thing in the morning on, on signing day. You know, they had that stuff spread out to where it was still going on in mid afternoon when almost everybody was done. Uh, when, when, when schools had started saying, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, Wildcats signed 23 players, uh, national signing day, like all those things had started to come out and they were still engineering this like, and that was ESPN, not Bleacher Report doing that. But just in general, like, it's weird to space things out when everything comes to a head first thing in the morning. Well, end of January and early February, first of all, but then also first thing in the morning. It's weird. And the and the timing was bound to get weird at some point like that. So um speaking of timing, if we have time, I know you've got this is an abbreviated one, you've got what, like twenty five minutes and then you got a jet. Um mm-hmm. So uh, there are some general like storylines from yesterday that'd be kind of fun to talk about, including Texas bombing, almost all the take way out there. of the top thirty.
0: Um, You're gonna have to take me there.
1: Okay, well, but first I do want to talk. We we're talking about timing, and so this is a you know in my head at least a natural siege. Um, the whole early signing day idea like where where they have an early like whatever it is a three-day window in december where you can sign as opposed to early february or in addition to early february i should say Mm -hmm. this is a really interesting topic to me because anytime you change a process that is very 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 well established and and i mean goodness at this point we we know all the holidays when it comes to recruiting um changing it up a little bit is really interesting because you can't predict exactly how it's going to go. We know what, you know, like I, speaking of bleacher report, uh, you know, our friend, Michael Felder was talking about this the other day on Twitter. He doesn't really like it because from what I can tell, I mean, he basically sees two things happening. Number one, the second tier programs that end up getting rated at the last second by the top tier programs, um, you know, and, and Missouri was a good example of that one this year. They lost two receivers, one to Notre Dame and one to Ohio state. Um, you know, so they're going to really try to lock those guys up, those under-the-radar guys that aren't going to be under the radar for long. They're going to try to lock those guys up in December. And, and I mean, you know, as a fan of a second-tier team, I think that's a good thing for the second-tier teams because they probably – both of the guys who ended up leaving, if you had asked them in mid-December, are you 100% certain you want to go to this school, they would have said absolutely, and they would have signed. Um so Felder doesn't think that's good because because uh, he doesn't think that's good for the school. You should be able to go to your, quote unquote, dream school, which, uh, I, you know, in most cases is going to is going to be in Alabama or in Ohio State or whatever. Um, I, you know, I think it's a philosophical thing in that regard. Um, I. I you know, I could certainly make a case that the second-tier schools are going to be better for a kid if it means, like, earlier and more significant playing time and your development's going to be basically the same, and blah, 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 blah. It's it's a philosophical thing that we don't really... We're not going to really know who the, who is correct. But I do see that happening. They're going to try to lock down those second-tier guys. Uh, or the second-tier schools are going to try to lock down what I guess would be most of their first-tier guys. The, the high three-star guys, we'll say. But what al- what is also going to happen is is the the... Those top-tier schools are going to try as hard as they can to get the really big-time kids to sign in December. Um, I think it'll probably work, I, and, which would basically then just move everything up from early February to mid-December. It becomes like basketball. But it's not guaranteed to work. It kind of depends on the, over this first couple of years, like, which, which of the, the, the big names in a given class do and don't and the impact of that and and how teams start to scuffle around uh and you know how they use december versus february it's all yeah. uncertain because it kind of depends on the first few things that happen the first couple of years where this uh, is a thing um, and I always like that stuff where like it, it, the impact really isn't a given. It really could become basketball, but it's not guaranteed to because because timing basically, like the you know the timing of bad BCS stuff and how it affected when the playoff came around and all that. We don't really know how it's going to work, so I just kind of enjoy it for that reason. But uh, it sounds like it is going to happen, and <laughs> I can certainly spin it into a positive for the Missouris of the, the world.
0: The simplest thing that I can endorse, and look. I'm not going to try and act like an expert on this. Um, I know we've been promising y'all, Bud, we'll get there. But, by the way, how many, uh, uh, kudos to the SB Nation team. They were, like, just live videoing their little butts off. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were a website specializing in video yesterday. Right. Um, Bud will better illuminate and give context on this. I am fine with the concept of a kid... Uh, so juniors juniors are on the board right now, right? right? Today, this morning. February the 2nd? Yes, February the 2nd. Um, if a kid wants to commit to his school of choice in August, mm-hmm. and there's a period in, well, I don't know, August. It doesn't have to be December to me. Let's just say August. Let's say before the high school season starts, at the end of August in places like Texas and, and some places in the South. And he, the kid wants to go to Texas A&M. And he, sh- he should have the right to just sign. Just be right. done with it. The Andy Staples now
1: approach, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm fine, I think, with you could have ten of those or five. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that if you want to... Have, I mean, we do that now with, with, pre, with enrollees anyway, right? So you started yesterday with people already on the board because they were early enrollees January. I'm fine with that. Um, I don't know about the rolling system of periodic signing. I don't know about the basketball model. Um, I, I have a pretty good idea, and maybe it's our fault in the media, um, that if you were to move like the majority of the Big Fish signings to December you would have the same thing that I just sat through for 23 hours at Oregon which is like the you know the big Skyping the live all day coverage on ESPNU um, you know all the dumbness would just follow because some of the kids want it and that's okay so I'm, I don't know I think some of the critics of the of, of signing day who are, who are advocating this who's segmenting it out think that that's going to go away it's not An 18-year-old left tackle in L.A. wants to make a video. He's going to make a video, and he's going to wait. Or if they wants a hat ceremony in the middle of, you know, Iuka, Mississippi, he's going to do that. And that's okay. So if that's what you're hating about signing day, it's not going to go away, ever. Um, If anything, you might accidentally screw up and have it three days a year. Yeah. And as someone who's very tired from signing day, that scares me.
1: (laughs) Well, and I started thinking about it, too, like, Army Navy and the, that first Saturday of bowls. That's gonna get really weird if there's a signing date or a signing period like right in there. Now that's not gonna affect the Alabama, so it doesn't matter. Um, but things could get really weird in the mid-major universe when it comes to all this stuff, especially when you think about how coaching changes are going to play into that too. Um, no, I, I mean I, I love the the thought of. The, they, well, like I, I credit Andy Staples, I think he was the first person who said it. Basically, just eliminated National Signing Day, and here's why. And and you walk through why you would do it, and that they can sign anytime they have a legitimate scholarship offer on the table. It, it polices the schools in a way that the, the schools will never agree to be policed. And uh, and how you offer kids, you can't just go out and offer 300 kids. Um, it has to be a legitimate, meaningful kind of "Will you marry me?" kind of offer. Um, yeah. And that solves a lot of issues, so I mean I, I really like it in that regard. It's, uh, but you
0: know oh and the, the staples theory has the the dump out uh, for for staff change right? Yes,
1: correct. And that's all that's always been the number one issue with trying to figure out how an August or a July signing day would work is what if five months later the coach changes? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Like if you uh, if if the coach change if the coach leaves, then you immediately get the chance to. Resend your LOI and um, you know be released from your LOI. I guess. I should say. What about
0: coordinator change? How are you on that?
1: That's weird. I mean, there there would have to you know there there are a lot of issues like that that always come up. That a I don't position comes
0: out. change. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, there's there's like a line somewhere, or you know, and in, in, in the end, again, it it it's going to you do anything like that, especially if you're saying you know if the coordinator leaves, I can I can resend my LOI as well. You know, obviously, then you. You're shifting the advantage from the coach to the athlete, and that's not going to happen. Obviously, that's the, not uh, the way any of this works.
0: I had a, I had an, a career position coach tell me that it might help and hurt if you did this, and you tagged it to assistant coaches. So, kid commits to this hypothetical Texas A&M situation, and he's a he's a defensive tackle, defensive tackle coach, D line coach, takes another job, or D coordinator, fired, head coach is the same. What do you do? Yeah. Should he be released? And his his thinking is if you have a lame duck position coach who, is, who has also landed you three or four good recruits out of that 10-person or 5-person early class, mm-hmm. you got to keep them.
1: Yeah.
0: And you don't get to make a change. You don't get to shake your staff up. And it de-incentivizes guys. Yeah. Which I think is a little short-sighted, but um, it's interesting. Guess what? There's no good answers.
1: Well, right, and, and I mean... But there could, like, we could have pretty good answers. Like, if you, if you, if this, if we really wanted to go this route, this is what happens when in the political style debate that we always have about these things is, well, what would happen then? You don't know. Well, then it can't happen. You know, get pretty decent. Uh, you know, a decent uh, set of people around a desk, and you could figure out a pretty good answer. I'm pretty sure. Uh, whether it's however it comes about, whether it's you know coordinator or higher, the kid gets to leave. Whether it's nothing below the head coach, whatever that is, you could come up with a decent answer and you could try it out. And if it doesn't work, then a year later you try you know, you tweak it like they did the BCS every year. So it could happen. Uh, there is not support for it to happen yet, and and you know I'm really curious about the December thing. Like I said, maybe it just bumps everything up six weeks, but maybe not. And uh, I'm curious how coaches attempt to take advantage of the new rules. Cause there's always going to be a chance for a, a, at least a temporary advantage based on how you go about it. So, uh, yeah, anyway. So, all right. So storylines from signing day and I'll, here I'll, I'll, try
0: uh, world's ending in Texas, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. Cause, uh, Texas, you have to scroll all the way down to the mid twenties to find Texas. Uh, and Oh occurs. my God. I know it's, uh, the, you know, the world is ending. Um, I, I very quickly pointed this out in my recruiting thing this morning. Um, uh, you know, I've been doing projections pieces this week. Like, the three pieces of my S&P projections, which will go out tomorrow, are recent history, uh, returning production, and recruiting. I've been doing a piece on each this week. So this morning was recruiting. I very quickly just said the following. And, I, and really, that's this is going to be my answer no matter how, how much time I have. But um, – the bottom line for Texas is recruiting hasn't been Texas's problem. Like, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's not – you can't spin it into a positive. Well, like, I'd rather have a top 30 class than a top 10 class. You can't do that. But top 10 classes, with a bunch of top 10 and 15 classes, Texas hasn't had a top 30 S&P plus finish since um, 2012. They haven't been in the top 10 since 2009 with a bunch of top 10 and 15 classes. So, Herman – you know, with his you know number fifty sixty seventy average for recruiting uh, at Houston, obviously his like, last year's class was better than that. But on average, the talent on hand was top fifty sixty seventy. He produced top fifty performances. If he can do that, you know, let's get to the point where having only a top thirty class is a problem. It, it, you know, first step is to produce a top thirty product. <laughs> if he's doing that with top thirty classes and then he's not improving on the recruiting, well, let's talk then. But the whole thing is. You know, the recruiting sets up your margin for error, sets up your, you know, your baseline or whatever, and then you either exceed it or you drastically underachieve. Texas has drastically underachieved forever. If Texas overachieves with a top 20, uh, what was it, number 26 class, I believe, they're in good shape. So this is where, like, I I enjoy signing day to a degree, but um, the distinctiveness uh, or, the, you know, like, well, last year when Texas made a surge, they ended up whatever it was, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th. And everybody's like, oh, Charlie Strong's back. You're like, no, th- th- that's just step one. Now you actually have to apply it to the field. And a year later, like less than a year later, he couldn't really do that with a bunch of freshmen. And he got fired anyway. So I enjoy this. It kind of helps us figure out the stock for each team. I certainly don't enjoy that Missouri is like among the top teams to uh, in terms of regression over the last two years in recruiting. But it's step one. And it helps to set the, the, the expectations. And now we see what happens. But if Texas... Uh, ranks number twenty-six on the field next year. That's a very, very positive step, uh, and recruiting class had nothing to do with it. Or
0: you don't even worry about this class at all, and he he does the exact same thing he did with Tony Levine's roster in a larger in a larger manner. Yeah, and Texas goes ten and two next year, right? And everyone stops worrying about it because I know that the kid that went to UCLA out of I think he was at Austin Westlake. And, hey, if you want any more information than that, <laughs> go find another podcast. Um, there's a kid in Austin-Westlake, I know, and he was like a big five-star get, a signing day announcement, because I saw this going on in the war room at Oregon. And he ended up going to UCLA. Why? I don't know. Um, of all the big classes I saw, if you were to tell me which coach is in the most trouble, or or if, you were to, if I were to tell you which coach I thought wouldn't be at his job in 18, it would be Jim Mora.
1: Yeah, but you're still in L.A. A,
0: a
2: big class.
0: So, I don't know. That was weird. Um, but anyway, that stuff's not going to happen a year from now with Tom Herman. I mean, I'm not trying to cape for Tom Herman, but uh, Bill, I swear to God. I thought, I, I really thought, they're okay, they, they've hired Herman. They, they have eliminated the whipping post that was Charlie Strong. Yep. Everything's going to be fine now. And, and now we're entering another cycle where there's a, a house divided and people upset. Charlie, look, man, Charlie recruited his ass off. And he also, like, that. if you go back and look at that class, the only reason I know this is because I wrote, the pro, I wrote a profile on Charlie last year and sat there and picked at it, his picked it classes. They closed like maniacs in the last 48 right. hours last year. And it kind of saved his, his job PR-wise for, like, six months until they lost to Cal again. Um, who do they open up with, Bill? Wait, don't they have USC? They have Maryland in week one and then USC
1: in like week three.
0: Cool. You know. So if he goes 2-0, and o, um, you are not going to care. No, Texas and that's you right. It's N- and also, if they go 2-0, that kid who committed to UCLA, is it, the whole reason he did was he said that Texas wasn't consistent enough as an on-field. He did not know what they were. And if you beat USC next year as Texas, everyone's going to know who you are, what you are.
1: Yeah, I think, I think USC, I, I don't remember for sure. I think they're in week three. But regardless, yeah, I mean, if they, this, like, I, I enjoy recruiting for what it is, but it, it drives the narrative for the next seven months, and it starts to drive me crazy after a while. Because among other things, a go to our bad class, tackle. a good or bad class in February, not going to have much of an impact this year. It's going to have an impact two to three years from now.
0: Um, wait no this is the man they wait did they sign multiple
1: kids out of texas
0: ucla yeah i guess they did uh, um yeah i mean you
1: texas got rated like i whatever it was i don't know the recruiting service service they were using i saw it on twitter though it was something like the top 12 or 13 kids none of them went to a texas school or something to that effect something bad something unheard of uh very very interesting But – so, okay, here's an example as we move from Texas. Here's an example that will also create some weird narratives moving forward. Georgia went crazy. Georgia – Kirby Smart signed the number three class in the country. Um, And it seems to be basically like kind of consensus number three, definitely behind Alabama and Ohio State and ahead of everybody else, USC, Michigan, LSU, Florida State, et cetera. It's – again – uh, in it, next fall, it's not going to have that that humongous an impact because it's just it's just not. There's a matrix of experience and uh, quality that matter here, and and Georgia's not going to have enough experience from this incoming class to really have a huge impact. But they have a, a decent amount of experience returning, I believe, um, and they're going to be it's gonna be it's gonna be really weird because now Kirby just like signing this class completely wipes clean the fact that they underachieved for a good portion of last year got it they got better mm. at the end but they were still incredibly mediocre especially in like October when when their season was being decided when they were playing the good teams I guess um and he needs it's it's a really Interesting clash of narratives right now because that this, these these freshmen that are coming in aren't going to be able to make them a top ten uh, team next year. They're going to have Chubb and Michelle. They're going to have guys back. Really, really curious though how much of an impact this class can have and how well Kirby can actually coach next year. Because um, I don't think we know anything about how well he coaches yet, or, or, or if we do know something, it's bad um, until you know uh, some more evidence overrules that.
0: Can I just ignore the normal advice I would give everybody else and just continue to like push the Georgia screwed up with Kirby Smart thing just for fun? That that feels real. That feels irresponsible.
1: until until he actually wins.
0: <clears throat> just yeah, I just want to do it for fun. I'm not serious. I'm kind of serious.
1: I'm kind of serious, but they have a chance. That Ooh, he has well, all
0: right. Well, if Bill's kind on. of serious, then I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on poking that bear.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know. I said it in the preview last year when I was writing about Georgia. Like, when you you fire a guy who averaged 10 wins a year, like, the next guy better average 11. And Kirby didn't win 11 this year. They they were pretty mediocre for about the first two-thirds, three-quarters of the year.
0: Um, Hey, man, I say, you know what? I do think it's safe to say, in a talk radio way, not with a talk radio voice because I'm tired, but uh, they made that switch. Because, specifically because Alabama came in and raided Atlanta, right? And now that's not happening to that degree. So Georgia's holding serve in Georgia better than they ever have. That one thing is the only thing that you have to show for it now, right? That's it. There's no, you don't have the on-field wins, you don't have the success, you don't have the QB development. You have a good QB, but you haven't developed them yet. So that one reason that you got rid of Mark Rick is also the only reason that you have to show as justification <laughs> right now at this moment. Plug, I, do, I feel like that's the, fair. I'm actually not trying to I'm not trying to be a dick there, but it, but that's that, that is the truth. You have nothing else to hold on to. So so I hope you had a good February. Yeah. Plug, plug, but, hey,
1: hey. Good lord.
0: Huh? I miss my dog
1: now. Yeah, yeah, no, she's taking up the slack for you. Yeah, no, you plug one leak yeah. and like three more open up uh, It's kind of where George is at right now. But again, they're gonna they, they're gonna have Easton, they're gonna have a, a, a good backfield, they're gonna have a super young offensive line of betting. Don't know about their defense, but in theory, second year surge has happened. They can go and win the East, go eleven and two next year, and everything's fine. But
2: it is the East.
1: Yeah,
0: it is the East. But
1: they haven't done that yet.
0: Uh, do, at what? So at what point the, you absolutely have to win this division or else like sniper bullet <laughs> from Knoxville to Athens, I would, I would say 2018 for Georgia, which may um, be dead by then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm saying it goes from Tennessee. You absolutely have to win this division to Georgia. You absolutely have to win this division. Not maybe this year, but next year.
1: Yeah. Florida, I, like I, I right. mean, Florida could be pretty good next year. And I think that's part of it too. It's, if you don't win the division, if you don't win a good division, it's different than not Speaking winning. Speaking of signing day, they did okay. Florida did okay. Um, yeah, Florida is I think eighth right now in my two year recruiting rankings. So they're okay, um, and they really they they will regress on defense. Maybe it's offset by offensive improvement, but regardless, yeah, like the the East of last year is different than just a decent division that you almost won that didn't. By the way, since since we're both rambling, um, the uh, returning production figures that I put up on Tuesday also were kind of interesting since we're talking about the sec East. Uh, I believe four of the
0: seven, do you you have your top, uh, do you have the list in front
1: of you, uh, for returning production? I can very shortly, but basically, um, four of the top 10 teams in terms of percentage of last year's production returning are sec West or sec East teams. Missouri, I think is like 31st in, in this returning production. And they're fifth in the sec East. Um, so that that's Dang. at least like – that's a – I don't think last year's East is, you know, the future East. I do think that there was a combination of coaching inexperience. Um, don't take this away from me, Bill. On-field inexperience. And, and neither of those will be things moving forward. Now, I mean, I don't know if – you know, you still have to improve more. You have to improve more than just a little bit, and we'll see if they can do that. But, um, no, I was I – was, impressed to see that but south what south carolina georgia oh my god
0: uh. best show ever best show ever hey lady
1: oh my god you're barking you're barking best at show do okay <clears throat> anyway Georgia, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky are all in the top ten uh, next year. Kentucky surprised me because I, I had Stanley Boone Williams in my head. They return a whole hell of a lot of other people not named Williams. So they really could be interesting next year too. But, uh, okay. But anyway, that's something to keep in mind. A lot of SEC teams will be improving next year. A lot of SEC West teams won't, which is also interesting. Uh, Alabama will still be ridiculous, but otherwise
0: – um quick question um i like this whole thing where i don't pay attention to the news whatsoever and <laughs> then i just ask you I, just, I like this new format did hugh freeze actually say that his signing class was bad or was that just a, a kind of a phrasing thing he
1: yeah he said it was a punishment basically like the long answer there was talking about people negative recruiting against him and everything like that um, which was uh-huh. probably true but the short the short version was this class was punishment <laughs> And that's not so, really a tidbit you want to take away from your recruiting efforts. So, butthurt. Got it. <laughs> um, he was butthurt. That, that's, you know, I, I did not listen to it. You would have to get, to get that context going yourself. But, uh, mm-hmm. a, yeah, it was not a good... Uh, it was not a good quote. It was not a good single sentence to take away from uh, Mississippi's recruiting. Ex- uh, uh, by the way, they're not uh, you know that yeah. much worse than they, they have been. They just weren't like top 10 like last year. Um, they're, they're okay right. recruiting-wise. They're doing okay. Uh, if, if, if the goal is to put a top 25 product on the field, they will have enough talent to do so. Uh,
0: it's just, they are going to go, if, if it's possible for them to go to a bowl, um, regardless of the sanctuary yeah. stuff. They will next year. They will be ball eligible next year. Um, I, I do uh, – oh, I got to be careful here because I'm working on a story about Ole Miss. But in the football part of it, I think they're going to be – it's really fun to jump on Ole Miss right now. They are actually a better – I mean, they – oh, man, I feel like this whole show we're just um, – we, it's still totally okay for us – I just want to say this, It's still totally okay for us to make the joke – that Ole Miss is the best five win team in the what? country. Okay? That meme has not gone anywhere and never will. But they probably are.
2: Bill. Hey. And
3: we got disconnected. Uh this has been the worst podcast, I think, that we have ever recorded, but we're going to finish it up now. Oh, with free, in worst, a car. Worst episode ever,
2: for sure.
3: Yeah, and, and shortest, for that matter. So, really, we just covered all our bases. Uh, and,
2: and if you're cleaning your I just, house look, this we just weekend, want to say hi to our fans every week. That's right. We just and if say we, hi, we just you we, hi. It's just for touching in. That's all. Like, I, we could have easily skipped this bad boy. And i just blessed <laughs> a more. But, no, I do it for you. I love you.
3: Yeah, and, and, I mean, I apologize if you had, like, two hours' worth or an hour and a half's worth of, of errands to run, and we only got you through half of it with a terrible podcast. But
2: uh, final thoughts on
3: final thoughts on recruiting uh, from Stephen Godfrey. Uh,
2: we probably should have Bud on the show. Um, I think that the huge faces out of the tube as far as any structural changes, curbing or lessening the things that people don't like about recruiting, and uh, it's going to be more a matter of learning to live with it than it is legislating against it.
3: Okay. Not bad. Uh, my last words are just that Texas is doomed, and and Tom Herman is, is overrated. Of course.
2: Um, so next week we're going to be back. We're going to talk about Bill's book. Yeah. We are going to jump into previews. Um, I've got a couple of news things we're cooking on, and, uh, man, I feel like the offseason starts now in earnest.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah, the previews start next week, especially. So that's that's when my that's when I, I yeah. you know I, I start feeling good. The juices
2: get flowing. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, we also have a backlog of reader mail. We're going to get to um, keep them coming. We appreciate your patronage. Um, we apologize for this worst episode ever. <laughs> uh, also, I would be remiss and not and not and uh, not saying go Falcons. Please God, go Falcons.
3: America's team.
2: Yeah, I'll take that. All right, we'll see you next week. Yep.